I wonder if people think I'm just nuts to believe in prayer. Welcome to WCKS, where we can keep silent about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Welcome back to the show. Today's episode is one that I'm hoping will spark thought. I called it, Am I Crazy to Pray to God? Maybe a better question was, What value is there in prayer? Or does it work? Or why do it? (laughs) Mike Russell here, and recently this topic has been driving me. As a Christian man for over 30 years, the topic of prayer is one that you'd think I would have have it down totally by now. It as often is the case, when you think you have arrived, God steps in to reveal that you have more to learn and grow. And the topic and practice of prayer is one of those discussion points for me. Now, living in America in 2020, amid the pandemic of COVID-19 and all the civil unrest and racism talk and inequality and politics and all of that, prayer is on the rise in my life, and I believe for good reason. And surely, I'm not alone. That said... Scripture suggests that we ought to be praying without ceasing, not only when the world or our own life is suffering through some crisis. So what is prayer and praying all about? Is it foolish for us to pray to a being out there that we call call God? Are we lunatics to consider the practice? Maybe it's just a crutch for the weak. Lots of good questions, I think. But before we attempt to offer any answers, let me ask a question of you. For you to ponder for a moment, or maybe maybe this is going to be a long, thought-provoking response to this question. But the question is, think of the idea of prayer. Why do you think people pray? What circumstances find reason to pray? And, And in fact, who prays? just a few questions, but let me offer several answers that might prick your interest. The first question is, why do you think people pray? And I'm going to offer just a couple possible answers. Number one, because they are in trouble and need help getting out of it. Or they may be sick and want or need a healing. Or maybe they're in financial trouble and they need a way out. There's a second question I asked, what circumstances find reasons to pray? Maybe family issues? You're, uh, maybe there's a dysfunction in your family? Uh, maybe divorce? Maybe, um, you know, all number of issues that could happen in a family. Maybe work or financial issues, and that could be maybe you lost your job, especially now in the COVID time here in America and all the shutdowns. Or maybe you're unhappy in your job. Maybe you have a rough boss and you want out, but there doesn't seem to be any options out. Or financial issues in the same way. you got too much debt and you're not making enough money and how do you pay the, the bill collector and so on. Maybe friend issues. Maybe... Maybe you've had some recent fights or difficulties with a friend. Housing issues, you know, where to live, 
Maybe you got evicted. Maybe the, maybe the owner of the rental property you had ended up going into foreclosure and losing the house, and now you have to move out or, or something. Health issues? Maybe decision or discernment issues. Should I do this or should I do that? Should I take this job or should I stay in that job or what have you? Maybe concern for others. Lord, how, how, do, I, how do you use me to benefit others? Or should I go over and help them? That type of question. And then I asked, who prays? <laughs> this crazy thought, who prays? Maybe the needy, maybe the weak, maybe the thankful, the concerned, or how about, how about the happy or joyful or content? Now, these are simple, quick, thought-out answers that came up, but these are only here to serve our dialogue here. They're just quick little things I brought up so that I could carry on my monologue for you and I to have some sort of correspondence here. It's not intended to be some exhaustive representation of the topic of prayer. That said, they are also true and thought-provoking, in my opinion. All of those answers I gave are true. When it comes to the topic of prayer, who should pray? All of us. The needy, the rich, the poor, the frightened, the confident, the happy, the joyous, the sad. All of us. And in what circumstances? Name the gamut. <laughs> Name the gamut. Those are reasons to pray. And as we, as we dive in further to this topic, I want to ask yet another question to ponder. And then from that answer, we're going to go back up to the topic of the day, which is, am I crazy to pray to God? So this next question is, how much control do you have over your life? I'm going to let you sit on that one for a minute. While you're thinking about this general question, let me hone it in a little bit more tightly. How much control do you have over your health? How much control do you have over your wealth? How much control do you have over others? Let's say your children and the way that they should go or the path that they should choose. How much, how much control do you have over daily challenges, like maybe a car accident or an issue with the house, a leaky pipe or stopped up toilet? But now, now, now that I've asked you the question and we've thought for a moment about it, Let me throw a scenario or two at you. If, if, if you invest money, and, and this comes to mind, many years ago there was a company called Enron. And Enron was a power company. They managed power, you know, like power lines and things like that, energy company. And they became maybe a monopoly. I, I wasn't that savvy into it itself. However, my anecdotal example here 
is simply that it became such a huge company. Financial institutions were pumping money into this company. And many pensions. Nowadays, we don't talk about pensions too much, but in that day, there were pensions, which was a retirement uh, fund that a company would give an employee so that when they retire, they would get money from the pension, in addition to Social Security and a 401k. And many, many companies put nearly their whole or their 100% of their pension fund into Enron. And then Enron failed. And all of these people's pension dissolved. If my memory serves me correctly. So when I say we invest money and save money to prepare for, for, for a financial crisis, but then the stock market crashes. Happened in 2008. A lot of people lost money. Did you have control over that? Or let's say you work out, you, you're a gym rat, you do some sports and you are just in shape and something doesn't feel right, you go to the doctor and you find out you had cancer. Or you just all of a sudden start whacking out and you realize you had a stroke or maybe a heart attack. Could you control that? You tried. Or let's say you, you have a house that is the house of all houses. <laughs> I mean, you, you put your life into that house. You make sure that everything is pristine and if there's anything broken or, or off-center or whatever, you are in there fixing it, straightening it. And one day you come home and you find as you open the door, there's two inches of water all over your living room. The, door, the, the flooring is all ruined and, and your furniture is starting to soak up that water and it's ruined. And Did you have control over that? I think I've made my point. That when it, when it comes to control over our lives, we have some. Even as a Christian, God commands us to be wise stewards of our money, of our time, so we, we try very hard to put aside money, to have insurance, to, to do the things to protect us because we know anyone that's lived on earth for any length of time as, a, as an adult with a cognizant mind knows that uncertainty is certain. <laughs> How's that? Life is full of challenges and trials and difficulties and problems. And many, 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 many times we do not foresee them. So when I asked the question, I know in my heart it was a bit of a setup because the fact of the matter is, the answer is, we don't. We don't have full control over our lives. We do not control our destiny. And I use the word control. Doesn't mean we don't contribute, but I'm talking about ultimate control. Hopefully, we're all kind of level set and we at least can agree during this discussion that we don't have ultimate control of our life. So, Mike, how does that play into the topic that we're talking about, which is, am I crazy to pray to God? And my answer is, from where I'm sitting, 
It has a lot to do with it. Matter of fact, it has everything to do with the question of, am I crazy to pray to God? So all that I've talked about really pulls on our human response to these questions, at least I assume. Not necessarily a biblical response, just a human response. I ask the question, you respond, you react. This channel is my desire to take that circumstance in life or that challenge that we're up against and bring us to Scripture so that we could see if Scripture does give us some directives that will help inform us, give us truth, unbiased, true, God-given truth that we can then use to shape and steer and maybe redirect our lives. Give us hope, courage, confidence, possibly conviction, restoration. So, in context of the control we have over our lives, I'm going to reference two passages, both from Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. The first one is coming out of Proverbs uh, chapter 16, and it's a great proverb, one that I memorized many, many, many years ago because of my understanding of God's sovereignty and man's frailty. And it says this, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. It says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Hmm. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So if you, if you unwrap that in your heart, you're planning out what you're going to do next, what you're gonna, where you're going to go, how you're going to do it, what are you going to invest in, and, and on and on and on. But the Lord establishes your steps, which, quite frankly, may not lead to that goal that you're planning out. may take you all the way around grandmother's barn to get there. To you, it may seem like a waste of time, but God never wastes time. God knows exactly his plan and every obstacle that he puts before us and its purpose. So though you plan it, as scripture says, don't just assume you're going to go do this and start a business over in that city. You should rather say, if it be God's will. I'm going to go over to that city and start a business. Powerful. But maybe a better passage out of Proverbs is Proverbs 19, and we'll look at verse 21, which it says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Hmm. What a passage. Many are the plans in a person's heart. And I... I echo that. I'm a kind of a restless by nature kind of guy. And there are times, many times, where maybe my walk isn't so solid. Maybe I'm not doing all I should be doing. And I quickly find things to fill my life. I'm antsy. Whether it's watching YouTube how-to videos, or it's out in the garage tinkering, or it's, it's uh, going camping, or, or picking up a new hobby that... You know, at my age, I just started a new hobby, you know. And it's those times my wife will be very clear to me to bring me about 
understanding, you know, how, how are you doing? How's your walk? Because you seem restless. Quite wise woman I have. But it says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So despite your plan, ultimately, God is the one who establishes the plan that we may walk in them. Now, I'm not just talking to believers here. God is not the God of just believers. God is not in charge of just believers. God is the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth. He knows everything <laughs> about everyone. So he knows the plans you have. In fact, he knows them from the end at the beginning. And he knows the plan he has for you. And his plan will always take priority. So in order to level set the discussion, I want to make it clearer. Though we do believe that we have some control, or, or maybe a better way to put it is uh, some influence, some capacity, something that we contribute to our destiny, for lack of a better way to put it, to the control of our life. I want to ask that we accept, at least for this discussion, that God is ultimately in control. That God is ultimately in control. In fact, even the insurance company might say, when that tornado comes by and levels your house, that it was an act of God. Hmm. Interesting. So, when it comes to the topic that we're talking about, now that I've established a few things, who prays, what reasons do we pray, in fact, do we have a lot of control over our lives, and so on. When it comes to the topic of prayer, I want to submit to you that many of us think we know what prayer is. We have a concept. But if I asked you to teach on it, <laughs> you know, hey, I'm going to set up a class, 10, 15 people, why don't you teach on prayer? That might be a, a bit of a stretch. Bit of a stretch. Especially if you're not a religious person. I mean, heck, come over to my house for dinner and, I, and if I ask you to pray for the food, what are you going to say? <laughs> Some over the teeth and pass the gums, look out tummy, here it comes. <laughs> I'm talking about real prayer, real heartfelt prayer. The kind of prayer that you find oozing out of an elderly person as their spouse of 60 years is on their deathbed. The kind of prayer that oozes out of a parent as their child is in a car accident or a bicycle accident or something, a health issue, and they're in the hospital and maybe on life support. A prayer that maybe comes from nowhere, from out of nowhere, from the deepest nafesh of your body, your, your soul, your inner, inner being. Even if you're not a religious person. My wife has a cousin. And her daughter, the cousin's daughter, who's an older woman, you know, roughly my age, got sick. We're living in 2020. We're living around COVID-19. And this daughter, who has had cancer and is recovered, is in remission, 
is uh, moving from one state to another state and gets this horrible cough and eventually ends up in the hospital with pneumonia. Now, if anyone knows anything about COVID-19, it attacks the lungs. At least that seems to be the real uh, deadly aspect of it. If you have underlying conditions, you're an asthmatic, you have diabetes, all these things, ultimately it will attack the lungs and you begin to suffocate because you cannot breathe. And here, she has pneumonia. So her mom, my wife's cousin, reaches out to us, reaches out to my wife. Now this cousin is not a Christian. Seems very opposed to Christianity. But she knows that my wife and I are Christians. And she calls us. Why do you think that is? Ultimately, it was for prayer. And praise the Lord, God had mercy on her daughter. And she's recovering. She, the medicines that they gave her actually helped to heal the pneumonia. When it comes to the topic of prayer, though we may have some concepts of it, if I asked you to teach it, you might say, well, I mean, prayer is, is what you do when you need something. You ask for things. Hmm. However, some may recognize it as a conversation with God. Recently, I listened to an old sermon on the topic of praying in the Spirit. And it was by a pastor that I love dearly. His name is John Piper. Still alive, still teaches. And the passage was actually referencing Jude. Jude is the second to the last book in the Bible. And it's only one chapter. It doesn't even have a chapter, if you would. It's just Jude. And Piper said in this uh, sermon that he was talking about, and it struck me. There were two things, primary things that struck me when I, when I was listening to the sermon as I was kind of studying up and preparing for this podcast. And he said, that praying is the equivalent of breathing. He says, as breathing is essential for keeping alive on earth, praying to God is essential for keeping alive in God. Hmm. That's my paraphrase, but I was, I was struck. I was struck by that. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. And there's an opportunity of confession here. Prayer is not my strongest suit. I do find, and, and Piper says some very um, apropos things in his sermon, but I do find that it's, it's easier for me, for example, to dig into the scriptures and prepare for a Bible study than it is for me to pray to prepare for that Bible study. Unless there's a crisis, sadly to say. I have a new take on that <laughs> as this study, as this podcast has drawn. But as I listened to the sermon and, and I read over the sermon notes that are attached underneath the sermon, he says, and I quote, Prayer is the breathing of the Christian life. 
okay? And it's based, again, like I said, around a passage in Jude. Now, Jude, in verse 20 and 21, says, But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So clearly, this passage discusses kind of us keeping ourselves in the love of God. So there's an active participation here. There's an active pursuit that we do when we pray. Okay? But in Jude uh, verse 1, in the very beginning of Jude, Piper points out, as we read it, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So, so from verse 1, Piper points out that it appears that the keeping, being kept, is actually in the hands of God, whereas in verse 20 and 21, the keeping is in the hands of the believer. Now, remember, we read the Proverbs 19 passage where there seems to be motivation and, and desire and effort on the, on the man, on the human side, but ultimately God is in control. And he goes on further in the same book, same one chapter letter, and brings us to the very end, which is a benediction that is very famous uh, for those that are churchgoers. Uh, Jude chapter 1, verse 24 and 25 is very famous. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So verse 1 refers to God who kept us. The Greek word kept is the same Greek word used in verse 2021, 20, keeping. But then at the end of this letter, it's summarized back up to really who's in charge. Now to him, God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Hmm. What a section of scripture. So Piper, using this section of scripture, develops this idea of keeping keeping, that God is the one that does the keeping, yet we participate and we do it through praying in the Holy Spirit. We do it through praying in the Holy Spirit. At one point, Piper says, try to jump into the pool, the swimming pool, and stay underwater for an hour and see what, see what happens. Obviously, we would die in minutes. And he says, in the same way, 
by not praying, even for an hour, if you would, you begin to die spiritually. That relationship with God begins to die off. He also says something pretty profound. He says, it is amazing how quickly prayer or prayer life decays. So as I'm studying right now and I do, I'm doing this podcast, I'm totally listening and paying attention to praying. I'm praying. I have posty notes around my, my computer screen because when I work, I want to be able to glance at that and remind myself, pray. Pray right now. Pray without ceasing. And I don't want it to be mechanical. I want it to be a time spent with my God, a time spent with my Father in communication. And that may include requests and petitions, but it may be also supplication for others, intercession for others. Oswald Chamber, Chambers uh, wrote a devotional many years ago. Uh, it's called My Utmost for His Highest. And on the August 28th post, it's a daily devotional, so there's a, a devotion for every day of the year. The August 28th post, uh, he writes, quote, Prayer is not a normal part of the life of the natural man. We hear it said that a person's life will suffer if he doesn't pray, but I question that. What will suffer is the life of the Son of God in him, which is nourished not by food, but by prayer. When a person is born again from above, the life of the Son of God is born in him, and he can either starve or nourish that life. Prayer is the way that the life of God in us is nourished. Our common ideas regarding prayer are not found in the New Testament. We look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves, but the biblical purpose of prayer is that we may get to know God himself. Close quote. Mm. What a passage. What a observation. Similar comments here in this Oswald Chambers devotional were mentioned earlier with Piper's sermon. And as I noted, he says, almost nothing decays so fast in the fallen human heart as the desire to pray. At one point, Piper goes as far as saying in the audio portion of the, of the uh, sermon that if a person doesn't pray, they really don't love God. And when I first heard that, I thought, what? Because I struggle at times in praying. But then he quickly said, look at a marriage. Take marriage, for example. If a husband doesn't communicate with his wife, ask the wife if you know, if she feels loved. Interesting. A powerful perspective, whether you agree with it or not. Let me read another passage that may provoke some thought. I'll be reading from John's Gospel in John chapter 9, and this account is related to a man that was born blind, and Jesus walked by, and the apostles point him out and say, hey, you know, why is this guy blind? Is it due to his sin or his parents' sin or what? And Jesus says, no, it's for God's glory to be revealed. And then he goes over 
and makes some mud and puts it on the, the man's eyes and tells him to go wash his mud off, the mud off his face. And he can see. Well, the whole neighborhood knew this guy. He was the, the beggar, the blind beggar that they saw probably on a daily basis out in the city square or what have you. And now he sees, and now he's walking around, and, and he's, he's probably jumping for joy and telling everybody all about this. Well, eventually, news makes its way to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees want Jesus dead. <laughs> they want to shut him off. They want to shut him down. So they bring the man in to question him. Who healed you? What happened? Tell us what happened. Over and over. Back and forth. Back and forth. And the, and the blind man is saying, you know, I don't know who the guy is. All I know is his name is Jesus, and he healed me. And in the course of that back and forth, the man says something pretty provocative to the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders, and this guy's just a blind beggar guy. But he says, this is the man speaking, and this is John chapter 9, verse 30 and 31. It says, the man answered, why, this is amazing thing. You do not know where he, Jesus, comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And then he says in verse 31, We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Hmm. What a passage. A bit frightening, quite frankly. But it clearly reveals a truth that most people either don't know or don't believe or don't want to hear. When it comes to prayers and our communication with God, in fact, our communion with God, it requires us to have a relationship with God. One powerful passage that brings this out is Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that he cannot save, or his, ear, or his ear dull, that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Friends, God hears everything. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, everywhere, all the time. He knows the end from the beginning, but yet clearly, in context of these verses, when it comes to prayer, he listens to his children. He listens to those who are saved. It is those that are saved that are in communion with God. It is those that are saved that are, frankly, privileged to have an ear of the Creator of all the universe. And in the midst of challenges that we go through, we go running back to God, and though He may not answer the way we want it answered, the trial itself tests our faith in God. And over the course of time, he will reveal his will in regard to the trial. And over time, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the believer, God will shape our relationship with him through prayer, through this communion, so that we mature. We become more and more mature. We become more and more trustworthy of God and his word. We have more hope. And in fact, a hope of eternal life. We recognize this life, this life is... (laughs) This life is temporary. We are only sojourners here. This world, this world is going to be destroyed with fire one day. The evil in this world, we are called as ambassadors for Christ to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that paid the debt of sin so that human beings can be redeemed, can be saved. We are called to bring that good news to them that are lost and dying during this time on our on earth that we have until the end comes the question that i asked in the very beginning of this podcast was am i crazy to pray to god and i think the answer that i'm going to leave you with is actually it's crazy not to My prayer is for you that God would open your heart to his son and for the believer that you would exercise and invest in your prayer life with God more vigorously to bring him glory. I appreciate you joining me today for this episode. Please follow the channel and share it with others and join me for the next post. Until then, be blessed.